You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. He saved my soul. He's so good to me. How many of you are grateful this morning for anything? Amen. 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 We're talking about gratitude today. And I believe that one of the most significant changes that Jesus Christ wants to make in our hearts and lives is to transform us into people who are not just grateful, but are continually grateful. Psalm chapter 30 says this, and in a moment, we'll turn to Luke chapter 17. It says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you, say it with me, forever, forever. Now, every time I like that, when we use that word a lot, I like to say, now, how long is that? Forever, forever. Would you say those verses reflect your life and attitude right now, this morning, right where you sit? You see, it's rare you meet someone that displays this often, isn't it? Instead of constantly grumbling about our circumstances, God wants us to radiate with thanksgiving. Instead of silently taking all for granted, all of God's goodness, we are to overflow with gratitude. So today we're going to look at a story about what deep gratitude looks like. Real gratitude isn't just a feeling you feel when something good happens to you or when someone does something nice. Hear this. Real gratitude is a response or an action that demonstrates just how thankful you really are. We are commanded over and over in Scripture to give thanks to God and be grateful for the many benefits and blessings He bestows upon us. Look at this. We aren't just commanded to feel grateful. We are commanded to be grateful. There's a big difference. Not just feel it, but show it. God wants us to respond to him in ways that demonstrate our deep gratitude for what he's done for us and given to us. Amen? In life, the earnestness of intensity of our grateful response certainly should be at the level of what he has done for us. Right? Would you agree with that? For instance, let me give you some illustrations. If someone sends you a card telling you how wonderful you are or wishing you a happy birthday, you might respond to them with a sincere thank you, right? They spend a little money on you. They spend a little time on it. You say, Thank, thanks, that's, that was nice. I appreciate that. That's definitely in line with the act of kindness towards you. But what if someone gave you a car? They see you're in need of transportation. You lack funds on your own, so they give you a car. What should your grateful response be? Do you think it would be greater than the response that you would give for a card? Well, yes, of course. Hey, thanks for the card, but man, that was nice. It made my day, but a car? I mean, wow, are you kidding me? Thanks, oh my goodness, I mean, this is a car. 
You shouldn't have, but I accept it anyway, right? Thank you, thank you, thank you. That sounds like Gomer Powell, doesn't it? You don't know how much this means to me. The intensity of the level of your grateful response would naturally be different between a car, a, a card or a car, right? What about this? What about a cure? You're on death's doorstep. Your time is running out. But nowhere a cure is giving. You're going to live now. You're going to see your kids grow up. You're going to get back to work because now you have been given a cure. You're going to get to enjoy life once again. Now listen, a card is good. A car is great. But a cure is priceless, right? And your grateful response would be different than your response to a card or a car, right? They don't even compare. My goodness, a car, that is good. I don't know what to say. Thank you. But a cure? I mean, I'm going to live again. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. What I want us to understand and see is how little, for most of us, how significant, insignificant, our grateful response to God usually is in comparison to all the things He's done for us and all the blessings that He has bestowed upon us. Most of us have given God a card reaction when we should be, what? Giving Him a cure reaction. Just like I love you, Lord. I mean, when He saves your soul, that is a cure. Amen? Amen. That is a cure. It's incredible. But we need to understand, for many of us, we act as we are entitled to everything we have. That God owes it to all of us. We somehow deserve it. Today, many of us need to look at our life and see just how ungrateful we are. Our scripture in Luke 17, beginning with verse 11, or you can follow on the screen, a familiar story about ten lepers we actually had uh, some of our ladies that went to a Lisa Harper conference uh, this Saturday. And uh, my wife was sharing with me uh, that she shared about the story of the lepers. And was talking about Thanksgiving. Said, man, if your pastor, if he's going to preach something about Thanksgiving, he needs to be doing the one about lepers. Well, I just want you to know I had it first, okay? <laughs> but it, it's, it's really good. Listen to this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now to understand the full effect of this story, you have to understand how dreadful leprosy was in that day. Now the word was often used to describe a variety of of skin diseases. But doctors believe most of the people suffered with what we now call Hansen's disease. It starts with a white patch of skin. I was going to put some pictures on, but I didn't want to gross you out. It starts with a white patch of skin that becomes numb, so much that the victims cannot even feel a needle piercing the spot. Then the patch starts to spread all over turning then their morbid body to a gray tone. It then begins to form spongy tumors on the face and also attacks the internal organs as well. Eventually, the toes and fingers just 
begin to fall off. Teeth would decay in their mouth. Open sores would be common. Usually it went to the eyes and caused blindness. It attacked the larynx and caused them to have a low, gravely voice. But the horror of leprosy wasn't just physical. You know what it was? It was social and relational. Think about that. Because it was so contagious, lepers would be put out of the city into camps and never to return home. In Bible days, the law said they could not come within 150 feet of any person. And when they came with 150 feet of the people, they had to yell, unclean, 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 as a warning to the person that they were a leper. So it was a lonely, painful life. Literally, a leper was a walking dead person. They were seen as valueless and lived that way as well. So I want to see us three lessons today from this story that we need to understand. Number one, like the lepers, we all have a problem only Jesus can fix. Even though none of us have leprosy, that's a good description of us. You see, leprosy in the Bible always represents sin. Just as leprosy was incurable, it was fatal, and it caused isolation. That's what sin does to us. Sin is fatal. Did you know that? In fact, Romans 6.23 says what? The wages of sin is death. We're all born with a dreaded disease, a deadly disease that the Bible calls terminal sin. It causes us to be spiritual outcasts. It's part of our genetic code. I got it from my parents, and they got it from their parents. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 6, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores, and raw wounds. They are not pressed out of, or bound up, or softened with oil. Now those words were written over 2,700 years ago. But God could say exactly the same thing today about our rotten culture. Do you believe that? Our spiritual leprosy called sin causes separation and isolation from God. And guess what? It's incurable. In the Bible, no one was ever medically cured of leprosy. They were always miraculously cleansed of leprosy. You and I are not cured of sin. We have to be cleansed of it. We are cleansed, how? Through the blood of Jesus Christ and that alone. Now listen, you may feel healthy today. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a terrible, invisible cancer growing inside your soul. And it doesn't matter. There's no MRI, no CAT scan or other diagnostic tool that can find it. But God's Word says it's there. And only Jesus can fix you by curing you. That's the good news. Well, these ten men banded together. 
and decided they wouldn't just give up and die. So they got up and headed toward Jesus. How many times have you heard that in the Bible? Where somebody headed toward Jesus that needed healing. They couldn't get close to Jesus. Remember the lady that just touched the Jesus' you know, garment? Remember that? They couldn't get close to Jesus. That's why it says they stood at a distance. So they were within 150 feet. And they began to shout, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So these 10 deformed, disfigured, diseased men began shouting and hollering at Jesus, begging for mercy, not bashful, not ashamed, not embarrassed. Master, Master. Master is an interesting word here. In the Greek, it's epistasis. This is the only time Jesus is called Master by anyone other than one of the disciples. It was a word of some weight and honor. It is a word that speaks of someone who has notable authority or power, even miraculous power. And that's why it's used to apply to Jesus. See, they knew. Now think about this. They knew his reputation and his power. This was their only hope. And they knew that. This was their only chance. Now how does this uh, Jesus respond? And I love this. See, he doesn't even come close to them. You remember when they said, hey, Lazarus had died. Jesus wasn't no hurry getting there. Took him a few days, didn't it? He knew what was going to happen. Listen to this. He doesn't even come over close to them. He says they shouted him. And he looks at them. And he just shouts back, go show yourselves to the priest. Because, see, that's what they had to do. Now, they would have not... They would have known why, because see, Old Testament law in Leviticus 14, this is what it said. God said, if someone is miraculously healed of leprosy, they would have to go to the priest to get a clearance to go back into society. So that you understand the priests were kind of like the health inspectors of that day. And there was an eight-day process they went through to see if someone was healed of this disease. But you went to the priest. After you were healed. So Jesus says to these guys, go show yourselves to the priest. Now notice, Jesus hadn't healed them yet, right? At least he didn't tell them that. He hadn't touched them. What he's saying is, I'm going to heal you. And by the time you go to the priest, you'll be ready to show off your new body. You see, that's the kind of power that Jesus has. Jesus was testing their faith. Jesus is testing your faith. Jesus was saying, prove that you believe I can heal your body by going to the priest before you can actually see that I've done anything to your body. Have you ever noticed that often when Jesus healed someone, he would require some act of obedience to demonstrate their faith? Stretch forth thy, what, withered hand. Don't go down in the pool six times. How many? Seven Remember all that? Go wash your blind eyes in the pool of Shalom. And when people responded in obedience, they were cured. You see, their obedience was a testimony of their faith and a channel of God's healing power. As these men made their way to the priest along the way, suddenly they were cured. Their sores were gone. Their skin was clear. Their bodies were whole. Their features were normal. And you know that suddenly they had to just scream with delight. Tears flowed. 
embraces, given, high fives all over. They were jubilant. But look what happens in verses 15 and 16. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Now we know that Samaritans were a despised race. Usually Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with one another. But in this case, misery loves company. Leprosy had bonded them together. And the Samaritan alone turned around, found Jesus, and fell at his feet and began to worship and to thank him. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You get that? Here's the second life lesson I want us to learn from these lepers. Feeling thankful doesn't equal giving thanks. Feeling thankful doesn't equal giving thanks. Do you think the nine who didn't come back to Jesus felt thankful? Sure. Absolutely. No doubt about it. They were thankful, but they didn't give thanks, did they? I think Jesus was both amazed and probably appalled. He said, wait a minute, were there not ten? Where are the nine? You see, there was an expectation by Jesus himself that these guys wouldn't just feel thankful, listen, but they would express gratitude by giving thanks. Because gratitude isn't just a feeling you feel when something is done for you. It's a response you give to communicate how you feel. And it should be done with the same level of intensity you feel. Wouldn't it be good to go back and conduct an on-the-street interview with those guys several days later? Why didn't you go back and thank Jesus? Uh, I'm sure one would say, I I got some of these things down. I I did what he told me. I I went and showed myself to the priest. Another would say, well, I went and celebrated with my family. I mean, they've kind of gone through a hard time. I intended to go back later, but, you know, it kind of got dark. And I just never made it. Another might say, you know what? I didn't go back because I'm not sure that Jesus healed us. I mean, you know, I've been talking a lot about this and thinking a lot of this, but, you know, I've been taking these herbs that are supposed to cure leprosy, and I just thought it was a coincidence that it happened at the same time. Another may say, well, you know, I'm cured. I just can't rejoice and be happy because there are just so many others who haven't been cured. How can I rejoice when there's just so much human suffering in the world? Another Well, I'm going to go back and thank him, but I have been so busy, man, with talk shows, interviews, I mean, newspaper interviews. And later today, all 10 of us are going back to have our pictures taken for a billboard. Man, I haven't had time. Another says, I didn't go back and thank him because I'm afraid to. I mean, Jesus has been telling people, sell everything you have and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. I'm not sure I want to be that fanatical. Whatever the reason given, Jesus makes it very clear that the message expressed by their refusal to come back like the Samaritan is unfair.
gratefulness. Why? Don't miss this. Because feeling thankful isn't the same thing as giving thanks. Real thankfulness, real gratitude requires a response. Would you say, generally speaking, we live in an ungrateful area of our country? I mean, the era today in our country is that of ungratefulness. Most of us are like the little boy who was given an orange by a man. The boy's mother asked, what do you say to the nice man? And the boy thought for a while, and he handed him an orange and said, here, peel it. Now listen, I believe God is still saddened by how people actually express thanksgiving to him. I think many people have convinced themselves they deserve everything they have, so why thank God? You know, I've never watched, and I don't even know how it stays on TV except it's the world we live in, an episode of The Simpsons in my life. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But I read in where one episode, the family was sitting down for a meal, and he had asked Bart to give thanks, and Bart said, Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Now, that may be funny on TV, but that's not funny, is it? You see, most of us would never say that line out loud, but do we live like it? Honestly, do we? Do we live as if we are the source of our own blessings? Often, we are content to enjoy the gifts, but we forget the giver, don't we? We are quick to pray, but slow to praise. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in what kind of circumstances? All circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I could just stop and give the invitation there. But I'm not. But are you thankful for whatever's going on in your life right now? For all. For everything. For all circumstances. Why is it that we're so ungrateful so much of the time? Here are a few reasons that come to mind. A privileged childhood. Let's be honest. Some of you have just been spoiled rotten from childhood. Mm -mm -mm. Parents and grandparents gave you almost everything you wanted. You were so protected and pampered that you have unrealistic expectations about life. You think all of life is supposed to be free of any pain and disappointment. So anytime life is less than 100% perfect, you think you're cheated. So you focus on the negative and miss the positive. You move into a beautiful new house, but instead of appreciating it, you focus on that little crease in the carpet. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You go out to a nice restaurant, but you complain that the waiter paid more attention to another table than yours. You have tickets to the Buckeyes-Michigan game on Saturday, but the tickets are not as good as you would have liked. You see, Jesus Christ said, in this world, you are going to have trouble because this world is contaminated by sin 
It is never going to be perfect. And if you have unrealistic expectations from your childhood and you don't get over that, you'll never be grateful for what God has given. Another reason I feel people are ungrateful is affluence. Something similar that contributes to ingratitude is our affluence. Generally speaking, the more we have, the less grateful we are. It ought to be just the opposite. But the truth is the more we have, the higher the standard of satisfaction is set. Now, I don't want to call this guy out. This is a new friend. He started attending last Sunday. He didn't know I was going to do this. But he got displaced from the last hurricane this past year in New Orleans. Lori and I have lived through those. I went down and worked six weeks after Hurricane Katrina hit the ground. And I want to tell you right now, I know how grateful this guy is. I know this. And you need to understand some of us, though. We have had so much, we don't understand that less is more sometimes. We understand that we depend on things of this world and not the thing that's going to get us to heaven, which is Jesus himself. Listen, it ought to be the opposite here. But the truth is, the more we have, the higher the standard of satisfaction is set. You know, if you've been to Italy, it's hard to be thankful for a vacation to Gatlinburg, isn't it? Huh? I mean, you know, Kent, when you play a golf on a PGA course, it's kind of hard to go to Podunk Golf Course, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's hard, isn't it? Let's tell the truth about it. Let's be honest. You've eaten cheesecake at the Cheesecake Factory? I'm sorry, but it just don't, I mean, an apple pie at McDonald's just don't compare to that. It will when you're starving. I mean, you Buckeyes, you cheered for a world champion <clears throat> last year. It's hard to be thankful that they're struggling to stay in playoff contention. Listen, we're spoiled. Us Alabama people in Ohio State, we want to win it all. We're not happy just getting there. Be honest. Can we? Okay. And that's why Proverbs 30, verse 8, says a wise king prayed this. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. You see, it's rare. It is a rare person who, when their cup frequently runs over, can give thanks instead of complaining about the limited size of their Another reason people are ungrateful is negative influences. Mm. Negative friends and family contribute to ingratitude too. Look at verse 20 of Proverbs 13. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If your closest associates are grateful people, guess what? You're liable to be a thankful person. But if your closest friends are negative Critical complainers, soon you'll emulate them. Did y'all know that complaining is contagious? The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. Remember that movie? For those of us who are older, grumpy old men, with Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau, y'all remember that? Grumblers that just kind of fed off of each other. You see, no matter how fulfilling your job, no matter how spacious your house, 
No matter how personable your mate or brilliant your children, no matter how edifying your church, if you associate with people who are always complaining, you'll soon become a grumpy old man or a grumpy old woman, and I'll say amen to that. You see, it's just human nature. And another reason people are ungrateful is they make frequent comparisons. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. They're not grateful either. Comparing yourself to others always leads to discontentment. Because here's the truth, whether you like it or not. Now listen to all this. There will always be people that make more money than you. I just wish my wife did. There are always, there are, there are always going to be people who get better breaks than you. There are always going to be people who have fewer problems than you. There are always going to be people who are skinnier than you. There are always going to be people who are prettier or more handsome than you. There are always, now here you go, parents. Now listen, don't take offense to this. There are always going to be people whose kids are smarter or more successful than yours. And there are always going to be preachers who preach shorter than yours. I preached 20 minutes last week, thank you, but it was planned. There are always going to be churches whose music is better than yours. There are always going to be churches who, more, who are more like what you grew up with than the one you're in now. You see, the list can go on and on and on. When you begin to compare your life and your stuff to others, you are positioning yourself to be discontent and dissatisfied. We don't know Well, the nine guys didn't come back and express their gratitude. We just know that they didn't. And Jesus shows some grief and disappointment over it. What we do know is how the thankful leper expressed his gratitude, don't we? Look at how he did this. Look how he responded promptly. When he saw that he was healed, he immediately returned around to Jesus, fell at his feet. It was immediate. It was spontaneous. He didn't wait until he had nothing else to do. He didn't wait for a more convenient time. He didn't wait till there were fewer people around to see him. And the moment he was blessed, he showed gratitude. He not only responded promptly, but he responded passionately, shouting, praise God, glorifying God with a loud voice, perhaps a voice that now was able to do what it hadn't been able to do for years because it attacked that larynx and it was gravelly and it was deep. No more squeaky, raspy, leprosy. Now he could cry out with new vocal cords, a big, loud voice. You know, some ask me more than once, why do we worship so loud? It's been my experience that funerals are quiet and somber. Parties and family reunions are loud. They have people who love one another and are excited to be together. That's a lot of what worship is. A family who loves their father 
and celebrates his love for them. He so he responded promptly, passionately, and lastly, publicly. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet. Jesus had this huge crowd around him. But this didn't deter the former leper. He could care less what others thought of, what he said, what others saw. I've said this before a hundred times in this church. Whether you sit during worship, you take notes, you don't take notes, you raise your hands, you stand up, you sit down, I don't care. Because it's the audience of one who you're supposed to be thinking about. That's all it's about, people. You need to understand that. But sometimes, you know, again, I grew up in a very traditional Baptist church. And if I raised my hand, I felt like I was almost going to hell. That's sad, isn't it? You identify with it. Come on, talk to me. You understand that? But when Jesus has healed you, Jesus had cured you from death itself. What? She say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. What's wrong with that, people? Get over it. I already want to get into the message I'm doing two weeks from now, but I won't go there. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Help me. Listen, he wasn't holding back his gratitude for Christ. He wasn't doing it. He wasn't doing it. He just couldn't do it. Don't make the mistake today of thinking that just because you feel thankful means you are giving thanks. They are not the same thing. Here's the last life lesson from these lepers I want us to see. All of them were healed, but only one was saved. Look again at Jesus' final words to this man in verse 19. And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. The word healed here is the word sozo, which means saved. It's the same word that the Philippian jailer used in Acts 16 when he said, What must I do to be saved? The word means to be made complete or whole. Jesus didn't come to earth to heal people of diseases. Otherwise, he would have established a hospital. Listen, he came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to make people whole. And here's the result of this miracle. Ten men were cleansed and only one man became whole. Ninety percent of them only received a small portion of what could have been theirs you hear me? And only one received full salvation. Now, don't miss this. Don't make the mistake this morning thinking just because you've been blessed by God that you belong to God. So let me close. God blessed everyone. He blesses everyone. The sun shines on the good and the evil. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Everyone is blessed by God. But not everyone belongs to God. Only those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can I tell you something this morning? Jesus wants to do more than just clean you up. He wants to make you whole and complete. That's what he wants to do this morning. One of our favorite promises is found in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of Christ Jesus. It's a process. My question is, have you approached Jesus because you want eternal fire insurance? Or are you continuing at his feet daily so he can make you whole? You know, I don't know why you came to church today. But I know why Jesus showed up here today. Because he wants to make you whole.
William Barclay said so often, once a man has gotten what he wants, he never comes back. May that never be said of us. Let's come back to the feet of Jesus and let's worship in gratitude. Don't just say you're grateful. Show it by the way you live, the way you give, the way you sing, sing, the way you work, the way you go, the way you serve, the way you love. Let's pray together. If you're here this morning and maybe you just need to come to this altar today, say, God, thank you, first of all, for saving my soul. And God, thank you for how good you have been to me. Maybe some of you need to come today and just confess to God that you have not been grateful enough. You have not shown the gratitude that you should have. Some of you, you really do need cured, but you need cured of sin. Some of you need cured of some disease or whatever's going on in your body. But Jesus is the healer. He is the helper. And maybe today you could come for that. Maybe you just want to come and have one of the pastors pray for you, whatever it may be. But if you don't know Jesus this morning, you want to know him, you can come and one of us will tell you how. If you're here today, you're looking for a church home and you feel like this is the place God has led you. Why don't you come and tell us that whatever that may be. Father, today, I pray that all of us would learn to be more grateful than what we truly are. Lord, I pray today that you would do a work amongst our people. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today. And we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.